Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Welcome back. This is Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Many moons ago, the hot summer sun blared down on me as I donned my steed. And I fell, kicked to the ground, skinned my knee. I get up, I try again, and I fall. I grab a hold of the powerful steel beam I'm using to support myself. I collect my wits and I mount up again. And I fall again sustained only on a giddy hope of imagining the mastery of my domain, the hope of riding down the street proudly like a knight of old, trotting, cantering, galloping. Imagine the feeling. And this trend continues for minutes, for hours, for days. But I'm addicted now. My inner thighs actually bleed from chafing from the saddle. But then I get a flash. A flash of insight, a flash of understanding, and I'm able to stay up on my steed for a couple of feet, then a couple of yards. Finally, I'm able to stay up for a football field. And then I have the majestic power, the command of the world, and I ride my steed proudly through the neighborhood, the envy of all the men and the fantasy of all the women. And that, my friends, is the power I'm about to bestow upon all of you. For that steed from days of old was actually not a horse, but a unicycle. The steel beam I was supporting myself with, not a support from a horse barn, but a stop sign. See, in the summer before fifth grade, I just moved to Indiana. I didn't know anyone. I hadn't started doing Taekwondo yet, and I got obsessed with this idea. The idea that I would learn to unicycle. What better way to make friends? What better way to introduce myself? Maybe even find a girlfriend. And I'm not going to lie, it was way fucking harder than I thought it was going to be. I dreamt that I'd just pick it up right away. I'd be unicycling around on that first day and I started trying. And I kid you not, that first day, that second day, that third day, that fourth day, all day no fucking success not even bits of success not even flashes of greatness i viscerally learned why bicycles have two goddamn wheels but then on the fifth day just like god creating all the aquatic and flying creatures i got that tiny whisper i pedaled a whole rotation and then i fell then the rest of the day continued to fucking suck nothing the next week similar fucking toil but that flash of insight that flash of greatness that first rotation started to happen more often and i got two rotations then three finally after legit three fucking weeks of getting so obsessed with unicycling that my inner thighs were no joke bleeding and i had long since become that fucking weird unicycle kid i figured out how to unicycle and I started to ride that thing around the neighborhood there was no limit to how far I could go and there's a thread here but we're gonna pull it 
Another story, shooting. I've always been interested in martial arts, guns, weapons, and I've always been interested in sales, making money, deal making. And I wanted to combine those two, and my good friend and I uh, in college had learned that there was an opportunity to take a handgun training class, introduction to handguns. And I knew it was something I had to do. Because if you remember from any of these damn episodes, you know, I grew up in a family where they were like, our family doesn't like guns. I'm like, well, don't speak for yourself, bitch. They look great. But, um, you know, I hadn't shot a gun. And I'm, you know, I'm, what, I'm 18, 19, something like that. I mean, it's un-American. And this class, it came up. I'm like, oh, fuck, it, you know, it's in our town. We got to do it. And I just come off an internship or somehow I, I had a little bit of money. But my friend, you know, who's now a doctor, yeah, he ain't have no money. And it was $100 to take this class. So we started brainstorming. You know, it's like, okay, Danny, how could you raise $100? And I was like, well, you willing to do gay stuff? And, you know, we could, I could probably, like, facilitate the prostitution of your body. He's like, no. God damn it, no. I'm like, okay, well, what if we could just, like, what if we could hurt you really bad on video? He's like, fucking no. These are horrible ideas. Like, okay, well, help me out, man. If you're not willing to do gay stuff, we can't hurt you on video. Like, what are you willing to do? And he gets this look in his eye, kind of a look of glee mixed with terror. And he's like, well, I'd be willing to take a shot of my own piss for $100. And I was like, done. We shook hands and I started raising money. And I kid you not, I have never felt more fulfilled in my life than doing that job. Like, how can I figure out how to just have that be my job. I went to all my fraternity brothers. I said, hey, haven't you ever wanted to watch Danny take a shot of his own piss? And they're like, um, what the fuck? No way, dude. I'm like, hmm, this is going well. Uh, well, um, what about this? You give me $5, and if I get to $100, it will all go towards watching Danny take a shot of his own piss at Chapter. He's a poor little guy. Look at him. You know, he, he's, he barely has any hair left. I mean, look at him. You know, he needs this handgun training class. How else is he going to find a wife? They're like, fine. I'm like, hey, if we don't get to $100, I'll give you your money back. And, you know, who the fuck would turn down that sweet deal? And $5 turned into $20, turned into $80, and then $95, and then I hit $100. Boom. We're going to handgun training class, and this bitch is going to take a shot of his own piss at chapter. But then I entered into a situation that I kind of viewed as, a, as an ethical dilemma. You know, it had gotten this grassroots, it had taken a life of its own. And I'd built a business, entrepreneurship, and, and these people kept coming up to me and handing me more money, and more money, and more money. And I was at 110, 120. I'm like, what? Do I give it back? I mean, I kind of feel like I'm getting paid a commission. And finally, my better judgment kicked in at $130. I pocketed the 30 as a commission. You know, I got paid 30%. And uh, we raised the money. And in addition to being the best sale I ever made, you know, I got, I got paid $30 for my friend to take a shot of his own piss. Like, you know, if that isn't the American dream, dude, I don't know what the fuck is. But uh, my friend Danny and I got to take the handgun training class. And I watched that fucking piss drinker degrade himself in front of all of his used-to-be friends. But when I got to the class, I am not joking, I was almost completely incompetent at using guns. I remember trying to load the bullets into the magazine and being like, this is so fucking hard. And like, dude, that is entry level grunt fucking 
you know, 12 year old lies about their age to get into World War II and they can do that. I had no idea. I I felt scared. Guns were loud. There was so much recoil. You know, we get up there. I barely could hit the fucking paper. I was the worst student in the class. It was obvious that I'd never even held a gun. It was, I would say, an equally inauspicious start to, as my first days of unicycling. Fast forward to this deer season. I smoked a deer at 20 yards with a pistol. Heart shot. Achieved a dream I've been thinking about ever since I realized that that was legal and a thing that people, some people, Jim Cirillo and his wife, do. And uh, I, I got a deer with a pistol. And I'll tell that story sometime, but what do both of those illustrate? Well, they illustrate deliberate, focused practice. You know, a repeatable and predictable journey that anybody can expect in any endeavor. The fact that I sucked more dick than a shop fact at a New Year's Eve party doesn't even matter because both of those stories are not that I'm so cool, you know, contrary to what I'm sure you all think based on the fact that Big Daddy can unicycle. The point is that even in spite of borderline idiot level performance, an uncultured savage was eventually able to progress to the top 10% of performance across the population. You know, how many of the people in the world can just hop on a damn unicycle like a fucking horse how many could legit say that they'd stay calm enough to draw their pistol and shoot a deer with it so if i can do that and i'm i'm retarded um, um i am mentally slow uh how well this book is that secret any semblance of success that i've had in my life i kid you not can be tied back to what we're about to cover as powerful as having limes on an old school sea voyage. People in possession of this knowledge legit survive the long sea voyage, step over the carcasses of their peers after deciding to be the bigger person and not sample man flesh, and emerge leaner, harder, but no worse for wear. And honestly, the punchline here is just an idea. And one might even say, a meme, but those who hold that meme in their minds have the option of massive success, whereas those who don't are doomed to life, set out by the winds of fate or the will of the gods. And so what is that secret that we're about to learn? Well, thanks for asking, it's called the growth mindset. And our hero on this journey is none other than a lady whose name I'm banned from saying in my household under penalty of death and divorce, Carol Dweck. Now, I uh, I feel like I'm going to say, I can't, okay, drinking game. Uh, here we go. got a little whiskey. It's a, something that has a 99 on it. So I was like, ah, it's probably strong. So I don't, I don't know what it is, but delicious. And uh, anytime that I say, I kid you not in this episode, you got to drink because I'm already feeling like, I kid you not, we're going to be saying this a lot. And I kid you not. There have been multiple nights of drinking where my last memory was stealing my mind for death and shouting, Heil Carol Dweck, and descending to the spirit world while my subconscious rampaged around and talked to fucking human beings. And Carol, along with Daniel Coyle, is indirectly the whole reason that I'm doing this podcast. Because after downloading that idea in my mind 
I went from someone suffering scurvy, losing his teeth and about to die, to the captain of the ship. Land ho, my pretties, it's time to hear the story of the skinwalker. Uh, what? Uh, sorry, getting so goddamn fired up. We're gonna take a breath. Here we go. <sighs> and that was a Thrive reset. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good joke, but no one gets it. <laughs> because you see, I used to selectively be a bitch. There were certain things that I was a baller at, and I knew it. You know, Taekwondo, anything verbal. Having the skill to release a fart when the vast majority of the population would have been unable to keep silent, but my butthole embouchure is that of a maestro, and I would crop dust a whole colon of gas in a room, change the pressure of the room by 100 PSI, and just escape. I cleared the dance floor on midnight. If you've been in a fraternity, that's shocking. Skilled maestro. But in other areas, I thought... I feared, nay, I knew I was stupid. And I'm not like joking around either. Like I knew that I was dumb in certain areas. Like I would make life altering decisions based on my perceived deficiencies. You know, I thought, oh, man, I'm, I'm really not quantitative. And so instead of going to a college that, you know, it's like, oh, this is a quantitative heavy finance college. I'm like, oh, fine, quantitative heavy, fuck. I can't do that. I'm going to die. It's like, I thought I wasn't organized. You know, so I set up an LLC. I started a company in college. I did it all fucking wrong. You know, I uh, took some accounting classes and I kid you not, I never once got the credits and debits to balance, which is atrocious. I would take whole math tests and it would, it would just be creative writing. It's like, well, let's draw some damn parabolas because, you know, Big Daddy don't know what the fuck is going on. And then I met our girl, Carol, and our boy, Daniel Coyle, you know, in a book, obviously, because like, bitch, if you can ride a unicycle, you, you don't have any friends, obviously. And everything changed. A perspective shift equal to those colorblind people putting on those anti-colorblind glasses, seeing color for the first time and crying in front of all their friends who then video them and put it on the internet for views. I realized, holy fucking shit, I am not retarded. I am just unskilled at this right now. And I could skill up with a little bit of elbow grease, having a hard dick and not being a pussy and letting time pass, I could succeed. And I already was in possession of all the ingredients I'd ever need to be successful. And my priest, if you join me on this journey, if you listen to what our hero Carol has to say, I can look you all in your blackened dog's eyes and promise you a power that in witnessing it, Hades himself would raise his eyebrows and do that Damn, that's really expensive, Whistle. So who is Carol Dweck? Oh, she's born in 1946, uh, born in New York. Uh, some have said that she is Jim Cirillo's mom, but I could not confirm or deny that. Uh, in the sixth grade in Brooklyn, students were seated in order of their IQ. Students with the highest IQ had the honor of erasing the blackboard, carrying the flag, or taking a note to the principal's office. In a 2015 interview, she said, On the one hand, I didn't believe that a score on a test was that important. On the other, every student wants to succeed in the framework that's established. I think the glorification of IQ was pivotal in my development. But see, something smelled a little fishy 
to Carol. You know, you could even say something smelled fucked up. Kind of like when you're at a giant party and there's like a tiny undercurrent of body odor and you surreptitiously walk past all of the attendees sniffing them, trying to figure out the culprit until you find the person and you're like, bro, you smell like a fucking water buffalo. She realized maybe this is all bullshit. Maybe lining up kids by IQ was something that Hitler's sorting hat would do, but we shouldn't be doing it in fucking America. And she got that sniff. <laughs> Something was wrong. And she set out to study. And in the process, she changed everything. Into the book. One day, my students sat me down and ordered me to write this book. They wanted people to be able to use our work to make their lives better. So I'm just imagining they all sit her down. Honored Professor Dweck, it has been our lives' greatest bounty to serve under you. But in this matter, we, your students, are united. The world deserves to know this information, and we have decided, if you do not write a book and share this with the world, the dishonor will be too great on all of us, and we will all take our own lives. We beseech you, as humble samurai, to carefully consider our request, our lives are yours. A quiet smile steals across her darkened face. Yes, my samurai, your passion and dedication to Bushido is admirable, but fear not. No one will be cutting their bellies today. You have convinced me, and I will take on this task you call write a book. My work is part of a tradition in psychology that shows the power of people's beliefs. Now, Troy here, uh, don't get fucking triggered, okay? You know, I went to this, like, corporate retreat thing, and, you know, it's on closing time. Closing time. They replaced every fucking lyric with, like, our company's core values, and, dog, I got triggered. I walked out in the middle of it. So, uh, you know, don't get triggered here. This isn't psychobabble. You know, um, this is you know th this is not like that one time my somewhat troubled friend mentioned in passing. Like, you know, if you smoke a bunch of weed and you stare at the sun, you don't even need to eat as much. Um, <laughs> hey, little buddy, I think you are mistaking yourself for a fucking plant. No matter how much weed you smoke, I am confident you can't do photosynthesis. That's so it's not like that. This is more like those who, in possession of that tiny kernel, that lime. Don't get scurvy. It just happens to be an idea. These beliefs may be beliefs we are aware of or unaware of, but they strongly affect what we want and whether we succeed in getting it. This tradition also shows how changing people's beliefs, even the simplest, can have profound effects. In this, and it said book, but I'm, I'm, I'm clever, in this podcast, you'll learn how a simple belief about yourself a belief we discovered in our research guides a large part of your life. In fact, it permeates everything. Much of your personality grows out of this mindset. Much of what may be preventing you from fulfilling your potential grows out of this mindset. No book, until now, has ever explained this mindset and shown people how to make use of it in their lives. You'll suddenly understand the greats in the science, in the arts, in sports, in business, as well as you'll have an understanding of the woulda-beens, the coulda, shoulda, woulda-beens. You'll see how to unleash your true potential. Speak to me, Lord. Okay, okay we're going to have a little reset. <sighs> okay, 
getting fired up. Maybe a little, maybe a little sip of whiskey will calm me down. It's like that scene in Law Abiding Citizen where he's uh, torturing that guy and he's like, your heart is beating so fast. And then he goes, so is mine. But I think we're we're working through it. We're, We're made it. Okay, awesome. My work has been about growth and it has helped foster my own growth. It is my wish that it will be the same for you. So you know it's a good episode when I'm like ready to cut my fucking arm and we're, that's the introduction. But uh, here we are, chapter one, the mindsets. When I was a young researcher, just starting out, hot, black hair, nerdy goth vibes, something happened that changed my life. I was obsessed with understanding how people coped with failures and I decided to study it while watching how students grappled with hard problems. So she's looking around and she sees some people fail and it's like, well, fuck that one up. Then they come back and it's totally cool. They, they learn it, they move on and it's fine. And then she'd see other people who took failure harder than Ron Jeremy's dick. So to study this, she brought in students one at a time and gave them puzzles to solve. Initially easy, then harder, then harder, then harder. As the students grunted, perspired, and toiled, I watched their strategies and, and probed what they were thinking and feeling. So she's doing the study. She's inviting all these students in. She's giving them, you know, like fucking Sudoku puzzles. And then she's giving them like super Sudoku puzzles. And then she's giving them like IQ test puzzles. And she's watching them because the, the output of the puzzle doesn't matter. But she's trying to figure out like, hey, if, if there's like 40 people that do this, are there going to be some patterns here? Are there going to be different, uh, you know, different orientations to failing? Failing because you know, guaranteed, none of these kids, you know, is like a fucking Sudoku master, or even if one of them is, all of them are not. And uh, as the students grunted, perspired, and toiled, I watched their strategies and I probed what they were thinking. I expected differences among children and how they coped with the difficulty, but I saw something I never expected confronted with the hard puzzles one 10 year old boy pulled up his chair rubbed his hands together smacked his lips and cried out i love a challenge so mad she's like trying to study failure and she brings in this this kid and he's failing and instead of like oh man like let me watch that's like i'm trying to study grief and and, and you know you're you're like okay you kill someone's mom and then you come in there like, man, my life just got way harder, but this is really interesting. What the fuck is wrong with you? Another student, sweating from the puzzles, looked up with a pleased expression and said, I was hoping this would be challenging. And she asked the same thing. She said, what was wrong with them? She says, I always thought you coped with failure or you didn't cope with failure. I never thought anybody loved failure. So it's like you're studying a group of people and you find a weird group of people who who get the flu and they're like, I love being sick. You're like, uh, hey, buddy, what the fuck? are you, What? They're like, yeah, I love being sick. It makes my daily life real fucking horrible. You're like, uh, do you know, is English your first language? What do, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, it's real fucking horrible. And you know what's harder when you're sick? beast mode but i get to practice my mental toughness i love being sick you're like that's interesting and then you you see 10 people that have that same attitude you're like what something's going on here but these children 
knew something the world didn't know. What was it? Well, they knew that human qualities, such as intellectual skills, could be cultivated. So when these students were theoretically failing, they were like, hell yeah, I'm learning. Because they were thinking about it logically. They felt themselves getting smarter. It's like that scene in 300 when that somewhat jacked but very lean Spartan guy looks out on all the Persians and starts laughing and that bitch-ass Arcadian looks on in fear and is like, what, why, what are you laughing at, little man? What's going on? And he's like, finally a worthy opponent. Hopefully one of those down there can give me a good death. And then the fucking Arcadian pussies out. Wild brawlers, blood drunk, but they do their part. What? Um, but these kids, they didn't even think they were failing. They thought they were learning. Carol says she, on the other hand, thought that human qualities were carved in stone. You were either smart or you weren't. A failure meant you weren't. It was that simple. Her, her thought of success in life was if you could arrange successes and avoid failures. And she even put in parentheses, which means she's serious. At all costs, you could stay smart. Struggles, mistakes, perseverance. If you're having to do that, bitch, you're not touched by the gods. So like for me, I took 40 minutes trying to figure out how to load my magazine after getting my first gun. That's back of the class shit. That's like get kicked out of the military type shit. That's, I'm not even allowed to be in the classroom and I have to take a conference call from the bathroom because they don't want me to poison the other shooters with my idiocy type shit. Whether human qualities are things that can be cultivated or things that are carved in stone is an old issue. But what these beliefs mean for you is a new one. What are the consequences of thinking that your intelligence or personality is something you can develop as opposed to something that is fixed? So she's saying, okay, you know, she's looking at all these kids and, you know, from the mouth of babes, the truth comes sometimes. And, and these kids are like, I love to learn. She's like, you're not learning. You suck. I'm like, what? Why are you so mean to me, Carol? But she was so mean because she thought that if you have to fail, it's already too late. You already are an idiot. She thought that human traits were carved in stone. But there's another way. This belief that you can develop, that you can learn. And she's saying that those two different beliefs, whether you think that like, hey, you know, like, why would you spend any time trying to get taller? You wouldn't. You'd be an idiot. So if you think that your skills are like that, you're never going to try to develop it. If you think your skills can be grown, now shit gets interesting. First, let's look at the let's look look in on the age-old fiercely waged debate about human nature and then return to the question of what these beliefs mean to you. Why do people differ? Since the dawn of time, people have thought differently, acted differently and fared differently from each other. And the world has always split into two camps. You know, one they just have the dog breeding view. You know, hey, bitch, you're just a poodle, okay? You, and you know what's not in Iraq? Poodles. The other group pointed to the strong differences in people's backgrounds, experiences, training, or ways of learning to explain differences. Yeah, you know, you might be a poodle, but I know that you're a war poodle. Even the guy who invented fucking IQ tests thought that education and practice could bring about fundamental changes in IQ. What a cruel irony of the world. You know, the fucking guy who invented 
scales to weigh people and then masses of idiots they just like weigh the weigh their kids and then they just determine like well you know he's gonna be fat forever and um you know what about what about if one of those little boys starts starts jacking steel and getting huge or you know maybe on the opposite maybe they discover bonbons and they gain 200 pounds of fat you know you you can't figure anything out from just putting a seven-year-old on a scale except for how much the seven-year-old weighs at that time but today most experts agree it's not an either or it's an and so it's like okay obviously bitch like we have genetic stuff um you know a lot of it seems more related to preference though like for me dude it almost feels genetic that i'm i'm like a disgruntled fucking old man who's skeptical of anything that everybody else likes but when it actually comes to learning you know so so maybe there's some like genetic preferences maybe there's even some genetic attributes but like when it actually comes to really truly learning things Scientists are figuring out that people have more capacity for lifelong learning and brain development than they ever thought. Like, there's a thought that, like, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Like, someone after 50, they're basically the... Might as well take them out behind the barn and kill them. Like, don't don't ever hire a 50-year-old sales rep. Like, what? And she says, of course, okay. Each person has a unique genetic endowment. People may start with different temperaments, different aptitudes, but it's clear that experience, training, and personal effort takes them the rest of the way, and I'll even go in to say most of the way. Ah, uh, some bitch. Okay, what what good notes I did take. Um, but, you know, we're going to roll with it. Some bitch says expertise is not some fixed prior ability, but purposeful engagement. And it's not always the people who start out the smartest who end up the smartest. Dude, thank God. Like, I've got to struggle to learn new things so hard. If success in life was how quickly you pick something up, the the only job I could qualify for is a dog catcher. So what does this all mean? Well, it's one thing to have pundits spouting their opinions about scientific issues. It's another thing to understand how these views apply to you. So, you know, she's saying like, oh, that's really cool, like really awesome scientific philosophical fucking debate, guys. But you know what I wanna do? I wanna get rich. So like, why do I care about what you psychologists fucking care about? She's saying, wow, thanks for asking. For 30 years, my research has shown that the view you adopt for yourself profoundly affects the way you lead your life. You know, it's like, it's like you're, you're gonna get a Pokemon. And that Pokemon's gonna follow you around everywhere. Do you want that Pokemon to be a little fucking Weedle bitch? Or do you want that Pokemon to be a Charizard? Believing that your qualities are carved in stone, the fixed mindset creates an urgency to prove yourself over and over. So, dude, that resonates so much, okay? And like, full disclosure, on the balance, I was really good at martial arts, but I was fucking terrible at jujitsu. Now, I would have good outcomes, like I could beat people in jiu-jitsu matches, but that was because I just used wrestling, and, you know, in wrestling, if you go harder, you're better. You know, if you lose, you lost. Practice the five basic moves, get in better shape, jack more weights, and go fucking harder. And so I try to take that attitude to jiu-jitsu, but jiu-jitsu, it's a language. Like, it doesn't matter if you know five words in English, and you just, like, say them louder, like, people don't really understand any better what you're saying. Because in jiu-jitsu, 
There's grammar, there's verbs, there's whole sets of chain techniques that you can string together for years of permutations. It's almost unsolvable. And the true way to get better is to ruthlessly humble yourself. It's to get tapped out by girls, girls, because you're trying to practice guard and you suck at it and they pass your guard and then they suffocate you with their boobs, which is kind of like the best moment and the worst moment of your life combined. And you tap out and you're like, and it's just like that right there is, is the definition of cognitive dissonance. And, you know, dude, I got my fucking right arm broken by a 120 pound little Asian kid because I was not willing to tap. I was like, yeah, cool. I'll tap for people who are more jacked than me. And that was like, I don't know, 25% of the class. But then this little Asian kid got me in an arm bar and just hypersend the shit on my arm. And it's still like really weirdly pops and hurts a lot sometimes because I was never willing to humble myself because my fucking ego couldn't handle the idea of losing for 15 months straight and then emerging a god among men. And that's what the fixed mindset does. You know, if you have any momentary failure, that's not momentary failure. That's the revelation to the world that you're a pussy. Bad performance, it isn't just a stepping stone to ultimately become the best. Bad performance is, hey pussy, you lost to a girl. Don't ever let that happen again, even if you have to quit jujitsu. I've seen so many people with this all-consuming goal to prove themselves, Carol says. In the classroom, in their careers, in their relationship, every situation calls for a confirmation of their intelligence, personality, or character. Every situation is evaluated. Will I succeed or fail? Will I look smart or dumb? Will I be accepted or rejected? Winner or loser? It's even being right. You know, we all know those people who view being right as the highest glory a human can have. They suggest an idea at work and then immediately personally identify with that idea, whether that idea ends up being good or not. And then they ride that idea all the way down to hell if necessary. So they're always one big catastrophic decision away from tanking their career at any moment compared to someone who has a growth mindset who's just looking for the best way. Bitch, I don't need to come up with the idea. If the fucking janitor has the best idea, we're going to go with that. And I want to grab a beer with the janitor to figure out how the fuck you learned to be so wise. Maybe he was a former college professor and he just killed a couple people. I can work with that because there's another way, the growth mindset. In this mindset, the hand you're dealt is just the starting point for development. This growth mindset is based on the belief that your basic qualities are things you can cultivate through efforts, strategy, and help from others. Although people may differ in every way, in their initial talents, in their aptitudes, in their interests and temperaments, you know, like, I don't think I'm ever going to like win the contest for being the most patient and nice, but that doesn't mean that I can't selectively learn how to be patient, you know, with deer hunting. Dude, that's like a seven day meditation retreat mixed with a, with a self-defense shooting. Anyone can change and grow through application and experience. And so she's laying that out to walk us into this damn growth mindset. And, and she's, she's trying to bring up the objection first here. Do people with this mindset believe that anyone can be anything? That anyone with proper motivation or education can become Einstein or Beethoven? Now, my answer is fucking duh. But, uh, 
but she's taken a more conservative track and she says no but they believe that a person's true potential is unknown and unknowable and it is impossible to foresee what can be accomplished with years of passion toil and training so imagine you start trying to play the trumpet and you're horrible but you know what you're like i want to play the trumpet more than anything and you just develop a practice schedule you know on saturdays and sundays did you play the trumpet for like six hours like two three hour blocks and then you play a bunch of video games and you know it's impossible that you're not going to get pretty good at the damn trumpet now are there damn trumpet genetics no but like even if there were does that really matter on the spectrum because the trumpet genetics maybe they get you 20 percent further and then hard dicks and hard works get you the rest of the way did you know that darwin and tolstoy were considered ordinary children that ben hogan one of the greatest golfers of all time was completely uncoordinated and graceless as a child now, i think we all did know if you've been a true fan of the podcast you know we, we knew that about darwin you know i think wasn't there a quote that his dad was so mad at him when he dropped out of medical school and uh something like all you care about son named darwin is shooting rat catching and beetles why can't you be a real man that was that was like a quote you know imagine you're his dad you ever think he's going to be the best scientist that ever lived and you're like i saw him i saw him spend nine hours rat catching he, there's no chance he's going to change the world with his theory of natural selection or there is you can see how the belief that cherished qualities can be developed creates a passion for learning so you know, if, if you actually can get better at stuff, who cares, dude? It, it's it's not even on your radar of things you care about how you start. You know, it, everything I've ever started thinking about it, I've been horrible at it. You know, it's not like I ever pick something up. Man, I'm fucking good at this. Uh, like maybe being a goalie playing soccer, but that was more just because it was like, well, if I'm willing to break both my arms, I'd be pretty good. But you can see, you know, if that doesn't matter because we can learn anything then a passion for learning is just inevitable because it's like it's not because it's not even a passion for learning it's a passion for like hey if i want to be the top sales rep at my entire company all i gotta do is like freaking like learn it and then you just you know so you get a passion for learning because you're like hey man i actually can be good and if you have that growth mindset like why waste time proving over and over how great you are when you could just be getting better you know so so that's an interesting point like that's what i should have done with jujitsu but i wanted to prove like i am jacked and like that was like my seriously my whole my whole like philosophy of jujitsu for a while was like i am jacked you will not beat me which i should have been like i need to learn this language because right now i just know the word no and i'm just like that three-year-old that you say like hey do you want to do something they're like no but you know if you have a growth mindset you don't need to prove yourself. You're going to get better, okay? You don't need to hide deficiencies. Like, I was, I that, that coach that said wrestlers don't even sleep on their backs. So, so you know what was a massive deficiency for me? My guard, which is you lay on your back and you, like, kind of hook your arms around people or your legs around the people and then you, like, you know, choke them unconscious with your body. I was horrible at it, you know? Why look for friends or partners who will shore up your self-esteem instead of looking for ones who challenge and grow you. So, that, so that's an interesting point. Like, if you have the fixed mindset, you want a bunch of yes men around you. You want someone that you're like, hey, is this a good idea? And they're like, I always knew you were a genius. 
And uh, but if you have the growth mindset, bitch, I don't need you to fucking tell me I'm a genius. I want to win. Like push back, disagree with me. And if you have the growth mindset, why seek out the tried and true instead of experiences that will stretch you? You know, if you're really comfortable with wrestling, why just only wrestle? Hey, idiot, how about you learn jujitsu? The passion for stretching yourself and sticking to it, even or especially when it's not going well, is the hallmark of the growth mindset. This is the mindset that allows people to thrive during some of the most challenging times of their lives. And dude, it is hard as fuck. You know, if my back wasn't messed up, I would go do jujitsu for real. And I would humble myself to the point that I would only win through technique. Like I would put my wrestling skills and my strength and being in shape, I would put that on mute. And it's like, hey, the constraint I'm setting is the only way I'm allowed to win is with good technique. And that would be so hard for your ego because dude, you could go against a 13 year old kid who's done jujitsu for two years. And so like he's learning jujitsu when he's 11. You don't, you don't even think an 11 year old's a person yet. Like, do they even feel pain? And, and he beats you. That could happen. But you know what? It's the truth. And the truth is never mean. But thankfully, nowadays, in most places of my life, I have a growth mindset and I am willing to look like a fucking idiot publicly for months because you know what i know that i'm on the path so let's let's think about a couple examples of uh, failures and how the fixed mindset could look at that and how the growth mindset correctly could look at that but i kid you not <laughs> if you're gonna want that if you want to continue this drinking game, if you want to get nuts with me, I'm not going to tell you what time of day it is or what day it is right now uh, when I'm recording this because you'll judge me. You're going to have to tune in next time on the next episode of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's my pretties. is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, the Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcast. The end.